with the main chip washer. It's real talk. Main is real talk with your main chip washer. When it comes to information, the main got an arsenal. Bring you up to speed with what you need. He's a local and nationwide news feed. Let's talk about it. Dialect to do something about it. Chip got the flow wide open if you got questions about it. Main is the show that brings you to your raw to solve all problems. It starts with real talk. And here we go. Here we go. On this hot Monday evening in is what month is this? This is August, right? <laughs> August 21st, 2023, six o'clock straight up, which means you are in the midst of real talk Memphis. I am your humble host, Chip Washington. Very happy to be here uh, on this uh, beginning day of a very hot and steamy weather week. Uh, it's about 98 degrees outside right now. We'll see temperatures hovering in the upper 90s to maybe low 100s by the time we get into uh, the weekend. So the high weather rules apply, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't have to be outside for an extended period of time, please don't do that because the sun uh, can uh, do very harmful things to your body. Uh, please uh, check on, stay hydrated, of course, if you are out uh, and about. I got some water here. Uh, and uh, check on the elderly. Make sure that they are okay in this heat. And for those of you who have pets, in particular dogs, who like to walk them, do that very early in the morning or when the sun goes down because it can be damaging to their little paws. Okay, good, good. Now, how do you get this fine piece of radio broadcasting? Well, I'm glad you asked. Several ways. Right now we are on live, 91.7 uh, on your FM dial, WYXR. You can also catch us on the WYXR app. Uh, you can catch us on the TuneIn app. These are all live, and we are on Facebook Live right now, live. Uh, and uh, tomorrow when they post the show, uh, you will be able to catch us on YouTube. And, of course, uh, as we are a podcast, uh, you can catch us wherever you get your podcast, okay? Good information right up front. Get it out of the way. We're going to have a good show for you tonight. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, one of the guests uh, that we have uh, is an author, and she is the author of a book called The Kneeling Man. Uh, and there is some uh, significance to that title and also uh, so some significance to uh, what would go down, I would say, as one of the most tragic events uh, in American history. Uh, and uh, if that has you intrigued, wait, there's more. Uh, her name is Lita McCullough. Selitsky. She will be joining me in just a few minutes. And also, a bit later on, we are going to talk about 
a big public event that is happening over the weekend. There's going to be a public meeting on Sunday. We've been talking about this. There is a very consequential election uh, that is about to happen on October 5th uh, of this year for a new mayor as well as a new city council. So we're going to be talking to uh, folks from... uh, MICA. And uh, that organization, of course, uh, is one that is seeking equity. Uh, they are they are trying to uh, make sure that you are well informed uh, as to uh, what is happening in our city. Uh, and they do a wonderful job at that. We'll have two of the members there, the president and the vice president of that organization, will be joining me shortly to talk about the public meeting that will be taking place uh, on uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, many of the candidates running for office will be there, which means you need to be there uh, to address them uh, and uh, you know talk about any issues or concerns you may have and why, more importantly, uh, they are deserving of your vote. And a bit later on, you know, uh, reading has always been fundamental. Uh, this past summer, of course, uh, many uh, of our third graders uh, did not uh, pass uh, the curriculum and had to go to uh, summer uh, enrichment program, summer school, if you will, uh, to sort of catch up. It is often said that uh, by third grade, children ought to be reading at a proficient level. Many of them are not. We're going to talk to the executive director of an organization uh, that is working very hard to make sure uh, that kids are reading at the level they need to be reading at uh, so they can continue their forward progress. Her name is Karen Vogelsang. She is the executive director of Arise to Read. She's been on the show before. It'll be good to have her back and uh, kind of catch up and, and give you an update on what is happening. But before we move forward, uh, I want to uh, do something we always do, which is shout you out for your birthdays. But I can't do that unless I say, hit it, Bryn. Happy birthday. Happy birthday is going out to the following. Uh, Makia Tally celebrating, Makila rather, Tally celebrating her birthday. Rudy Williams, uh, news anchor over there at ABC 24 UPN 30, is celebrating his birthday today. Uh, Bill McGee is celebrating, as is Brian Golf. Joanne Ballard, happy birthday to you. And Linda Stewart, happy birthday to you. Uh, for each and every one of you, I hope that it has been a day filled with fun and laughter as you celebrate your current trip around the sun. We hope to be here next year to celebrate your next trip around the sun. Happy birthday to one and all. Thanks, Bryn. I want to, uh, before we move on, want to uh, talk about a death uh, that uh, hits uh, a lot of us here uh, in the Mid-South. Jennifer Biggs, uh, who was the food editor for a long time, first for the commercial appeal and then of late for the Daily Memphian, uh, she died last week uh, due to complications uh, due to cancer. Uh, she was only 60 years young. Uh, she actually even had a show, uh, uh, was part of a show here on WYXR. So, you know, we take that as a, as a personal loss here uh, as well. Uh, very engaging uh, person. Uh, obviously gave us all the lowdown on all the food and all the restaurants happening here in Memphis. Um, a person gone much too soon. Uh, so we uh, we give our uh, condolences to all of the family, friends, and colleagues uh, who knew or worked with Jennifer Biggs, and may her memory always be a blessing. Uh, so today was the first day uh, in Nashville of the special session. As a matter of fact, it started at 4 o'clock. It's going on right now. 
this to me is, and this is just my opinion, uh, one of the biggest waste of time and money uh, that we will uh, ever see because they're supposed to be getting together to talk about substantial gun control legislation, something that about 70% of people in the state of Tennessee want to see. Uh, we all see a, we all know the ramifications of it each and every day right here in the city of Memphis. Of course, uh, it, the House is dominated by a supermajority of Republicans, uh, many of them who did not even want this special session to happen in the first place. Uh, so uh, anything that is passed at all will be very narrow in its scope and will not address the issues uh, that need to be addressed in terms of uh, gun control legislation. I hear that there are many, many, many people uh, at the Capitol, many protesters uh, who want to see some type of change. Uh, I even heard, or actually I saw a sign uh, from the Proud Boys. If that name sounds familiar, the Proud Boys, uh, think uh, January 6th uh, at the uh, Capitol. Uh, think Donald Trump. Yeah, those guys. Uh, they were up there, had a big banner uh, draped across the house that said, Proud Boys of Tennessee are here. So you can already tell what direction this thing is going in. Uh, the Republican leadership has already cut uh, half of the, uh, of the of the available seats to the public uh, inside the Capitol. They've already cut half those seats. Uh, one side uh, of the chamber is filled with gun lobbyists uh, and supporters uh, of that group, uh, and the other side is uh, for for uh, people uh, concerned citizens uh, as well who who want to be there to see uh, what is going on. So we'll keep you posted on what is happening, but I can tell you right now, uh, for however long this special session lasts, three days, four days, when it's all over, we'll all be saying, why did we even have this uh, in uh, the first place? Uh, Hillary, uh, Hurricane Hillary uh, hit California uh, over the weekend yesterday uh, and uh, caused uh, a lot of damage uh, to a lot of the low-lying areas, a lot of desert out there, uh, and uh, flooding, of course. Uh, many areas saw up to 10 to 12 inches of rain, uh, which is a lot of rain uh, in a short period of time. So uh, there's going to be a bit of a cleanup uh, in several areas. I have family out there. I've been checking on them. Uh, they're all, all I've been hearing about is uh, lots and lots and lots of rain. Uh, should start to dry out in another 24 uh, to 48 uh, hours. Uh, so I'm going to cut this here, and I'm actually going to start uh, the show a little bit early uh, in terms of my guests because, uh, as I stated uh, a minute ago, uh, we have uh, an author who is going to be joining me in just a minute. And we're going to be talking about uh, a very consequential uh, time in our country's history. Uh, that is the uh, assassination of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the author of a new book called The Kneeling Man, uh, is going to be joining us. Her name is Lita McCullough Seletsky. Uh, and I will just say this. Do you remember uh, the photograph that was taken when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot uh, at the Lorraine Motel? There were several gentlemen that were standing and pointing in the direction of where the gunshot came from. There was one man who was actually kneeling next to Dr. King, uh, trying to render aid to him after he had been shot. Uh, I will say that uh, the author and that gentleman are very familiar with one another, uh, as the gentleman I'm speaking of is her father. Uh, this is a pretty intriguing story. We're going to take a break, a quick one. And when we come back, we're going to start the show. And you might want to stay tuned for this one because 
it's going to be pretty good. This is Real Talk Memphis for a Monday evening. I'm Chip. We'll be right back. If you like Real Talk, here's a way you can get involved. Do you have a show topic idea or suggestion? Want to be considered a guest or have a guest idea? Then send Chip a message on his Real Talk show page and you can be a part of the Real Talk experience. So as he always says, go out and tell somebody. We'll be right back. Crosstown Brewing Company is excited to bring you the sixth installment of Crosstoberfest, CBC's annual celebration of beer, autumn, music, food, and fun. The event is on October 14th from 12 to 8, with live music starting at 1. Expect fun for the whole family with activities for the kids, food, games, and more. More information can be found on the brewery's social media channels. Get Real Talk on the TuneIn mobile app under WYXR, and he's now streaming live on Facebook. And you can also catch a rebroadcast on YouTube. Just put WYXR in the search box and hit subscribe. Now back to more Real Talk with Chip Washington. And welcome back to Real Talk Memphis uh, on this hot Monday evening in the city. Chip with you. Very happy to have you with us. And uh, as I alluded to um, during the tease, uh, we're going to talk uh, with a with a young woman uh, who has written a book called The Kneeling Man. And it has uh, uh, a lot to do with a very tragic moment in American history that involved the family members. So I'll just, uh, before I bring her in, I'm just going to read the, the cover of the book says The Kneeling Man, which is the title. And then the subtitle is my father's life as a black spy who witnessed the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Now, if that in and of itself is not intriguing enough for you to want to know more about, you're about to find out now. Please welcome Lita McCullough Seleski. And Lita, it's great to see you again, my friend. How are you? I am doing well. It's great to see you again, Chip. You know, you, you're you from Memphis. Uh, we should let everyone know you, you just left here. You were here just a few days ago uh, for a book signing at the National Civil Rights Museum. Uh, and uh, a lot of folks showed up. It looked like it was a very successful event, and, and they got a chance to meet you. Now, you know, your book uh, is really, you know, just, just from reading the cover, uh, it, it inspires uh, um, many questions, especially uh, the part that says, your father was a black spy. Uh, so uh, as we begin this conversation, uh, in premise, your father was an actual uh, Memphis police officer, correct? That's correct. He was one of the few black Memphis police officers um, on the force in 1968 when the historic sanitation workers strike broke out. Unbelievable, you know, at that, because we talked about it before, uh, not too many, that, that's not something you would expect, uh, you know, of, of, of someone of our race, especially during the late 60s. Uh, uh, from a population standpoint, that was pretty rare, was it not? It definitely was. I mean, at the time, Memphis was roughly one third black um, in population, and yet the Memphis Police Department had about 
5.5% of its force, you know, as, as black officers. So, you know, there were some real disparities then in terms of, you know, who got to enforce the law and, you know, who was being hired on the force. Exactly. Now, this uh, particular point in time uh, in, in the history of our city, uh, had a lot to do with the Memphis sanitation workers strike. Uh, and uh, of course they were demanding better wages and there was a lot of tension there uh, and, and a lot uh, went into them actually going on strike. Uh, clearly got the attention of, of Dr. King. Uh, now, before we jump into that, uh, your father started out as a police officer and at one particular point in time, he was sort of uh, kind of watching out, watching over that uh, that strike situation, right? In terms of the scabs, making sure people were safe because it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty dangerous time, I would say, right? Well, there certainly was that perception in the city because this had never happened before that you had, you know, virtually all of the sanitation workers who were overwhelmingly black people decided they were not going to take their um, uh, terrible working conditions, mm -hmm. terrible pay, and just the disrespect that they were getting, um, and they walked off the job. And so the garbage started piling up, and the city and law enforcement included really um, struggled with what to do. And at the same time, you know, there were these reports of threats against these scab workers, you mm -hmm. know, the, the workers that the city had to hire to replace um, the, the sanitation workers, folks who were, had crossed the picket line to pick up the garbage. There were reports of, you know, gunshots being fired, folks trying to interfere with the collection of the garbage by the scabs. And so, yes, I mean, it was sort of this time of great uncertainty and a lot of fear. And so for that reason, the Memphis Police Department um, assigned its uh, patrolmen, and I say men, I mean, because they were mostly, you know, if not almost entirely were sure, men, sure. but assigned them um, these additional 12-hour shifts to escort the garbage trucks just to make sure that there was no interference there. Now, uh, ha having said that, uh, th this was a time when when organizations were starting to to gather together uh, to try to strand, uh, to try to plan strategically, uh, you know, how to address uh, this uh, this uh, this strike, the sanitation workers strike. Uh, your father was asked by his higher ups. Uh, at the police department uh, to do something in particular. What did they ask him to do? That's right. The assistant chief of police, uh, Lux, called my father into his office one day. You know, my father had um, been assigned to guard a landfill at this point. You know, he was one of these patrolmen who had been assigned uh, one of these 12-hour additional shifts. Mm. Well, Lux calls my father um, into his office and waiting there in the office are some officers from the police department's intelligence bureau and a couple of black officers, mm -hmm. you know, a couple more of the, the very few black officers on the force. And what Lux asked my father to do, um, along with another black officer, was to go to Claiborne Temple, where the sanitation strike supporters were holding mass meetings to kind of plan their action and their strategy, as you mentioned. Um, so uh, these officers were asked to go down there and listen in and report back, you know, as to what they were planning and in particular, whether they were planning to interfere with the collection of the garbage or otherwise, um, you know, take any other radical action that law enforcement deemed threat to public safety so uh, having said that so, so your father then you know he had a special assignment clearly uh there was one group in particular uh that uh the police department was wondering about and they were called the invaders uh correct it was uh, it was uh, it was a black organization here uh 
that I guess was working with uh, Dr. King and his folks uh, trying to uh, figure out, you know, the best way to approach this situation. Uh, and then Dr. King decided uh, in March, late March, to come here uh, to lead a march uh, in on behalf of the sanitation workers. Uh, and something very wrong, I would say, happened uh, at that particular march, which caused a major disruption. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so uh, just to provide a little bit of context so this uh, initial assignment that my dad had been given to go down and, and another black officer had been given to go down to Claiborne Temple and listen into their meetings right. had now evolved into can you get to know these invaders? Can you embed yourself in the invaders mm -hmm. and just see, you know, if they are planning to radicalize the strike supporters? And so my father did that and in fact did that so well that the invaders named him as their minister of transportation. Wow. And so so uh, in March, as you mentioned, there was a strike um, that Dr. King had come into town to lead, which was a huge step forward for the sanitation strikers Very and their supporters deal. bringing a deal. national lens onto Memphis. Exactly. And so, you know, Dr. King, of course, everyone knows, you know, he is he he, he stood for and lived his life as a uh, man of peace, someone who was about nonviolent action and demonstration. And in fact, he had never led any kind of action that had ever turned violent violent until uh, March 28, 1968 in Memphis. Um, Dr. King led a um, march, a demonstration on behalf of these uh, striking sanitation workers and um, violence broke out. And in fact, it was a catastrophe. He had to, he and other folks had to flee for their safety. Yeah. And it was a huge embarrassment to Dr. King, to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. And particularly as Dr. King was preparing to lead his poor people's campaign, a mule train from Marks, Mississippi to the nation's capital to um, shine a spotlight on poverty and economic inequality. So and so that was the, the really wrong thing that happened. Um, and, and because of that failed demonstration, Dr. King had to come back to, sh you know, to lead a peaceful, um, what he hoped would be a peaceful march and show that he could do that um, in order to, among other things, not only just to support the sanitation workers, um, uh, who he definitely was committed to supporting, but also to show that he could lead a peaceful march on Washington as well. Sending a bigger message, clearly, clearly, uh, you know, to, to be able to come back and say, we're going to do this again and we're going to do it right. Uh, so uh, let, that, that brings us uh, to the fateful day of uh, April 4th, uh, 1968. Uh, Dr. King was in town and he was going to, to lead a march, uh, you know, again, uh, the, the, the second time. Uh, but at 6.01 p.m. Uh, on the 4th, uh, he was standing on the balcony of the Rain Motel with several of his, of his uh, soldiers, uh, including uh, your father, by the way, uh, who, who, who was there as well. Like you said, just kind of like a house plant, just kind of listening and kind of, you know, being you know, kind of the eyes and ears, so to speak, you know, from the outside world. Uh, when that shot rang out. Now, the iconic picture that I was talking about earlier of uh, several, I mean, Andrew, uh, what's Andrew? Uh, what's his Andrew name? Young. Yeah, Andrew Young and uh, Jesse Jackson and uh, Ralph David Abernathy were pointing in the direction of where they thought the shot came from. Uh, in the meantime, Dr. King lay uh, on the ground mortally wounded. Your father uh, was the one who kneeled down uh, to render aid. And as we talked about, 
Police officers are, are trained to do that. They don't they don't run away from situations. They run into situations. So he was the one that held the towel over Dr. King's face, correct? That's right. That's right. My father had actually arrived at the Lorraine shortly before the shooting and saw Dr. King standing on that balcony talking to people in the parking lot below. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, you know, just moments really after my father arrived with these other folks, um, he heard that shot, which sounded like a thunderous boom and, you know, saw Dr. King fall and knew immediately, you know, Dr. King has been shot. And his first thought is, you know, I've got to help him. You know, like you said, he's one of these folks that's going to run into an active shooting situation certainly not something that you know your typical person is going to do but I mean not only does he have that training as a police officer and then you know he had served in the army for three years as a military policeman mm. but he that is just his character there are just some folks who are made of that stuff of, of courage and bravery to run into a situation thinking first of helping and and you know not so much their own personal um, safety now uh, you know let's go post that and and uh, you know, at a certain point in time, uh, the, I guess the revelation came out. I don't know if it was your father to you or, or how it came out that your father was actually a planner of the Memphis Police Department uh, involved in this. Consequently, uh, you found out about this uh, at some particular point in time. And I think it was some years later uh, in, in reference to his role uh, and why he was there in the first place. I guess my first reaction, my first question to you is, what did you think when you found out um, about his role in terms of all of that? You know, I was devastated, to be honest. I, um, I thought it was terrible. And, you know, when I found out, I was a teenager. I believe I was a junior in high school at Craigmont High School in Memphis. And, you know, I read the newspaper every day. You know, my uh, mom at this point was, I believe, an editor at the Commercial Appeal. My stepdad was a reporter there. And I, you know, we were a newspaper reading family. And so I just happened to see an article about this and about my father's role in the Commercial Appeal. And, you know, at this point in my life, I was uh, an avid student of history and in particular black history. Mm. I had read about the Black Panthers mm. and admired them greatly. I'd read a lot about Huey Newton. I'd read an um, autobiography, you know, of one of the other Panthers. And so, you know, when I read about my father infiltrating this group called the Invaders, you know, while I wasn't specifically familiar with the Invaders, I immediately likened them to the Black Panthers. And the first thought that I had was, how could a Black person infiltrate and, and spy on a group that, you know, seems to be fighting for Black liberation and then go back and report that to law enforcement? I just couldn't understand it. I could not get my head around that. Yeah, that was that. That clearly was would had to be a very difficult uh, revelation. So when you approached your father about this, uh, you know what you had found out. Uh, what was his uh, reaction to it? Was he willing uh, to uh, to tell you the story? I mean, how did all that uh, come about? Yes, it took many years for me to even raise it with him. I mean, when I first found out about it, you know, I was a junior in high school. Well, I never broached the subject with him at all until I was in my 30s and wow. had two kids wow. and was practicing law in Houston, Texas. And, um, you know, as you might imagine, because there was so much silence about this huge event, in his life, you know, something very formative and certainly very, you know, tragic and important in his life. You know, when, when you're maintaining that kind of silence about something so huge, it's really hard 
to get around that to get to know the person very well. And sure. so for that reason, I feel like we really were not that close. I mean, it just wouldn't have been possible. I feel like, you know, I compartmentalized this information and then, you know, how much more then would he have compartmentalized it? But um, in my 30s, when I finally raised it, I mean, the reason was because I had two kids now and it dawned on me that, you know, this you know, this, this man, my father was their grandfather and I did not know what to tell them about him mm. or about, you know, our family legacy and that it was not fair to them to pass down this huge silence that I had struggled with for so long. And so for that reason, you know, I called him up one day and, um, you know, it started off as one of our very, you know, normal cordial conversations. Sure. And then I just awkwardly just suddenly brought it up, you know, brought up the topic like, Hey dad, you know, uh, we've never talked about the assassination <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure he was taken aback just yeah. by, you know, the beats of silence that followed, you know, my statement, but he was very forthcoming. He was very willing to share. And so what he told me was, you know, this is a big question because not only was I asking about the assassination, but I said, you know, I don't know much about your life period. I don't know about your childhood and your upbringing. And I would like to know about this. Sure. And so he said, you know, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will prepare some notes for you. And then you should read those notes and then let's have a discussion. And so he, uh, shortly after that conversation, sent me an email with a document attached, you know, word document, mm -hmm. 17 pages of notes. <laughs> and I mean, these notes spanned from, you know, when he was born in, you know, Tibbs, Mississippi, 1944, mm -hmm. you know, on through. And, um, you know, I got those notes. I started reading them. I couldn't get past page three because it just became overwhelming. Just just the stuff about his childhood, yeah. you know, we yeah. hadn't even gotten into the police department, Dr. King. And so I set those notes aside for five years until I was able to finally come back to them, read and digest them, and then kind of go forward and get the story. This is just an absolutely unbelievable uh, uh, tale here. And uh, the book, uh, you, you wrote the book, and the book was released, uh, ironically, on April 4th of this year. Uh, and uh, you've been going, uh, you know, every, every gangbusters, uh, you know, ever since. One final question for you. Uh, what do you hope uh, the takeaway is uh, from this book when people read this book? Wh what do you hope they take away from it? You know, I hope that this book inspires people to examine who they choose to be in relationship to the institutions um, that they uh, interact with and in their community, whether it's their job, the schools, the government. You know, um, it's no secret that uh, we are living under systemic oppression in many ways involving these institutions. And yet there are many ways to resist um, from the outside of the institutions, but also from the inside. And so I would like people um, hopefully to take a look at who they are and who they choose to be in relationship to these institutions institutions and also look at what resistance might look like for them. Well, absolutely incredible. Uh, I, I would suggest, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that you pick this book up. Uh, it, it really is a, a fascinating read, and I think a lot of folks learn a lot of things about uh, themselves. It, it's called The Kneeling Man, and it is written by the person you, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can see her. If, if not, you can hear her. Lita uh, McCullough Seleski and, and Alita, thank you again uh, for coming on the show. And uh, I, I think uh, 
somehow I don't think this will be our last conversation. Uh, you know, as is life, uh, we tend to learn more and more things about certain situations. And I think uh, you might be on the precipice of that as well. That's all I will say <laughs> for right now. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. I don't think this will be our last conversation. And it's such an honor to be uh, here with you and to have folks join us. Thank you so much, Lita. I really appreciate you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again uh, down the road. You take care in the meantime, okay? You too, likewise. Okay, bye now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I tell you what, this is a true life story of a real American tragedy. And you might want to pick up this book if you really are into that and you want to learn more about that. I'm going to take another break. And when we come back, we're going to continue for a Monday evening. We're going to talk about a very important meeting that is happening this weekend. This is Real Talk Memphis. I'm Chip. Right back. If you like Real Talk, here's a way you can get involved. Do you have a show topic idea or suggestion? Want to be considered a guest or have a guest idea? Then send Chip a message on his Real Talk show page and you can be a part of the Real Talk experience. So as he always says, go out and tell somebody. We'll be right back. Church Health's Memphis Plan continues its decades-long commitment to serving local musicians with comprehensive health care and also tailors its focus to small business owners and the self-employed. Healthcare through the Memphis Plan provides care in Memphis for Memphians. Related services include preventative health, optometry, dental care, and more. More information regarding availability at memphisplan.org or at 901-272-PLAN. The Sunset Jazz at Court Square Concert Series is back every second Sunday, May through October, featuring Memphis's top jazz artists at 62 North Main in downtown Memphis. More information and the lineup are available at sunsetjazzmemphis.com. Get Real Talk on the TuneIn mobile app under WYXR, and he's now streaming live on Facebook. And you can also catch a rebroadcast on YouTube. Just put WYXR in the search box and hit subscribe. Now back to more Real Talk with Chip Washington. And welcome back to Real Talk Memphis on this Monday evening. Chip with you. Uh, and as I alluded to at the top of the show, uh, there is a very important meeting uh, that is happening uh, this Sunday. You know, we have a consequential election coming up. And I don't know how many people really understand uh, that this is a consequential election for the open seat of mayor and, of course, uh, the city council. And it is important for you um, as voting citizens, as a voting public, to be as informed as you possibly can. Uh, so Micah is uh, is providing that opportunity. And, and with me to talk uh, for a few minutes uh, is the president of Micah. Uh, she is uh, Rosalind Nichols. And the vice president uh, is uh, Janice Lee. And ladies, it is great to see you. Welcome to Real Talk Memphis. Glad to have you. Thank you. Very for having glad me. to be so listen, uh, as we all know, uh, there, there's a lot at stake coming up uh, October 5th. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, this public meeting uh, that you are hosting uh, in reference to it. And Madam President, I, I will let you start. Uh, this this really is uh, something of, 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 of major importance for all of us uh, here in the city, correct? It is, it is, very much so. And it is uh, the, the crown jewel of the work that Micah does. We work all year long to be engaged in, and and to ask our uh, elected officials and to hold them accountable doing one-on-ones. And then when we get to these moments, like our public meeting is when we bring our power into the community for everyone to see and for our elected officials to know that we are serious. And so our public uh, meeting will be this Sunday, four to six. We're very grateful it'll be at uh, New Sardis. Pastor Harrington has graciously extended the space to us. And uh, we are going to show those who are seeking to govern for us what the powerful people of Memphis look like and what our expectations are. Well, that is uh, that is an extraordinarily great way to start. And Janice, uh, you know, you all you all doing this uh, and giving the, the the public a chance. And I don't I don't really honestly, I'll be honest with you. I don't think people are as engaged in this process uh, as, yet as they should be. But the election is getting closer what is the value for having these candidates? And I see you have quite a few of them that have committed uh, to be a part of this meeting, uh, at least from the general public's perspective. Well, I think, like you said, it, actually, these are the elections that so oftentimes we have the lowest turnout. Yes. Nobody's coming out. Nobody's paying attention, let alone letting their voices be heard. And so for us to have this opportunity, uh, not just to have the candidates speak to uh, potential voters again, but to really uh, allow them to have questions asked that are on the hearts and guts of Memphians, not the same old, same old, but the ones that we've been working on um, day in and day out for you know six, seven years now, um, and to have them have to address those specific issues and to have to commit to working on those specific issues, whether it's transit and housing or whether it's policing, whatever those may look like, mm-hmm. This is that opportunity for them to say yes or no. I mean, there's no waffling. There's no campaign around it. It is yes or no. We're going to work on these issues. And then hopefully we'll also push uh, the people in attendance and those in the public to get out and vote, to Mm -hmm. use their power, use their voice so that they can be heard um, at the ballot box. You know, that that to me is uh, really the uh, most important component, Roz, uh, in terms of what has happened in the past. Uh, we have a very abysmal record, voting record, uh, turnout record uh, in this city. Uh, generally, not even 30 percent, 20, 25 percent of all registered voters uh, actually bother to turn out. Uh, as you all were planning this, uh, I guess that one thing comes to mind uh, because there are 17 people running for mayor. Uh, that means that uh, whoever wins will win by a plurality and not a majority. Uh, and because the people may think about that, uh, they may use that as an excuse not to vote. I'm sure you guys have uh, probably thought about that a- a- as well. Yes. Yeah, we are committed to doing both and to not only holding our our candidates and ultimately elected officials accountable, but our real tension of work is to re-engage our um, fellow citizens right. to help uh, dispel the myth that their vote doesn't matter and it doesn't count or that they are not being heard or 
that uh, they don't really have any power. And so part of what we do, Chip, is to bring a large enough constituency in the room to help our elected officials, as well as the community, to look around and realize, oh, no, I'm not alone. My one vote is a part of a ripple effect. And that's really how change has ultimately happened in the city of Memphis when change has actually happened. It's because we've leaned in as a community and uh, and seeing that we're we see each other and we realize we're not alone. So that's that's the heart of Micah. Absolutely, and, I, and I'll say this: uh, during uh, the tragedy of the Tyree Nichols uh, murder uh, in this city, uh, I will say, uh, when the city council was um, uh, uh, voting on ordinances uh, that would sort of change the way MPD does business, uh, I was at uh, a few of those city council meetings. And let me tell you something. I saw uh, your organization enforce. You know, y'all have shirts and everything, but you know, but but I saw you all enforce at that meeting. I mean, at several meetings, and that place was absolutely packed. So that goes really to say, it almost goes to speak to what you were just talking about uh, in terms of the power of the people and how important it is for the citizens to understand that they do have power in this process. Correct. That is correct, Chip. And what is also wonderful to highlight is that MICA is not doing that alone. We are walking alongside of our partners who are also doing this work. That's one. And the second, that I really want our citizens to hear and and to recognize. I was in a meeting, it's been decades ago, an elected official out of Nashville came and brought in a group of clergy in the room, as often happens, and, and she finished. She was the chair of the of the um of the of nashville and she said you all think that we are leaders i will never forget this she said we are not leaders we are followers and we follow the loudest voice in the room if you want your issue heard you need to be the loudest voice i've never forgotten that wow and that is what you saw happen around tyree nichols the loud voices in the room made a difference Absolutely. That uh, before we get out of here, Janice, uh, tell everybody again uh, about the meeting, uh, where it is, the time, and how important it is for folks to show up. Well, uh, I'm going to tackle the last thing first, and that is that it is important, uh, much to what we just said. The loudest voices get heard, but yes. the powerful voices. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in power when we're in number. When we're stand shoulder stand shoulder to shoulder with people that no one expects us to be on board with, right? standing with our neighbors across faith, across race, across zip codes, shoulder to shoulder saying that we are gonna hold our public officials accountable. We're paying attention, we're listening, we're asking the tough questions and we're gonna be there for the long haul. And that, uh, we're so excited. This meeting will be Sunday, the 27th, this coming Sunday, mm-hmm. be there from four to six at New Sardis. You can register at Micah Memphis um, online at our website, it is Micah Memphis. And um, you can find us on social media as well. We'd love to have as many there as possible. Again, we're addressing not just what you keep hearing, those same issues over and over again, but we're addressing some really important stuff um, that touches everyone across uh, the Memphis area. Uh, And I think I covered all the details, but again, if I missed something, you can go to our website. And, And check it out. You're not endorsing, it's very important to understand this, you're not endorsing, but you are definitely encouraging.
uh, folks. You're encouraging people uh, about the importance of this. I, I really, uh, you know, I really salute you uh, as an organization. This this is important. This is really important stuff, and we need groups to uh, impress upon other folks about you know what this there is no there's there's there isn't there's this isn't a waste of time. This is a very important component of how we move forward uh, and progress uh, as a city. Uh, So I really salute uh, you and all the folks uh, at MIFA, uh, Reverend Roz Nichols, and of course, uh, Anise Lee. Thank you both for coming on the show tonight. I hope that Sunday uh, is a rousing success. uh, And when it's all said and done, uh, you can look back and say, I think we made a difference. I really appreciate you guys though. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate that. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is a very important meeting on Sunday, Sunday uh, afternoon. If you uh, missed any uh, thing about how you can be a part of all of this or go go to the MICA, M-A-C-A-H. Uh, org website, and uh, it will provide all of the information that you need uh, for a very, very important meeting. Thank you, ladies, again for, for joining us. We're going to take uh, one final break, and when we come back, we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk a little bit about the old saying that many of us grew up with that says, reading is fundamental, right here on the Monday edition of Real Talk Memphis. I'm Chip. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you like Real Talk, here's a way you can get involved. Do you have a show topic idea or suggestion? Want to be considered a guest or have a guest idea? Then send Chip a message on his Real Talk show page and you can be a part of the Real Talk experience. So as he always says, go out and tell somebody. We'll be right back. WYXR is supported by the Memphis Listening Lab, who will host Marcella Simeon on August 31st as part of the Artist Series sponsored by Memphis Record Pressing. Marcella will sit down for an in-depth interview with journalist Mark Jordan while listening to selected tracks from her latest album. Marcella will also perform a live mini-set. The event starts at 6 p.m. More information is available at memphislisteninglab.org. Get Real Talk on the TuneIn mobile app under WYXR, and he's now streaming live on Facebook. And you can also catch a rebroadcast on YouTube. Just put WYXR in the search box and hit subscribe. Now back to more Real Talk with Chip Washington. Rounding third and headed for home on this Monday evening. Uh, of Real Talk Memphis. Uh, my next guest is uh, someone uh, who is not a stranger. She has uh, visited us a couple of times before uh, to always talk about a very important uh, topic of discussion, uh, and that is reading and how important it is. Uh, please welcome Karen Vogelsang. She is Executive Director of Arise to Read, a wonderful reading program. And Karen, it's great to see you again. How you been? Uh, it's great to see you too, Chip. I've been doing well. How about you? Been hanging in there, hanging in there. Absolutely that. And I'm so happy that uh, you you could give us uh, some time uh, tonight. For people who don't know, Karen, uh, tell them exactly what Arise to Read, the program, is all about. 
Absolutely. So Arise to Read is basically focused on developing, facilitating one-to-one -one connections between volunteers and students, especially students that are struggling readers in the second grade. And, you know, one of the most effective interventions for children, for adults, for anybody really is a one-to-one -one intervention, and that's proven by research. And mm -hmm. so we basically connect uh, volunteers with students who are struggling in reading, and these volunteers make a commitment to serve an hour a week. And during that hour, they're going to work with two students, one each for 30 minutes, on a structured protocol that's fun and engaging for both the kids and the, uh, and the volunteers. And, the you know, the history of the, uh, the games that students make uh, because of that one-on-one -on -one attention in the five and a half years that I've been with the Roster Read is just incredible. The uh, third grade level uh, is the one that everyone talks about uh, in terms of being that formulative uh, year uh, where uh, children need to read on that level to achieve a success. You find that uh, to be the case uh, in the five years plus you've been doing this? Well, you know, Chip, before I became executive director of Arise to Read, I was a teacher in Shelby County Memphis City Schools and I taught first, second, third, and fourth grade. And uh, I can tell you that most of my years were spent in first, but when I, I looped with a group of children and looping is just following children to the next grade sure. and then went from second to third. And I always told my parents of my first and second graders if they weren't quite ready to go to the next grade, I wanted them to repeat because I wanted to make sure that their skill was really solid before they entered that critical third grade year. And I can tell you that as a teacher, a national board certified teacher, that when I advanced from second grade to third grade, <laughs> it was a significant challenge because I wasn't teaching children to um, learn to read anymore. They were expected to read to learn. And so if children are not ready for that by the time they get to third grade, it's a very challenging time period for them and teachers are expected to teach at their grade level, not necessarily at their instructional level. Mm. And that's one of the beauties about Arise to Read. We teach children where they are and we meet them exactly where they are and help them grow to their next level. So yeah, third grade is absolutely a critical year. And if children go into third grade and they're not ready to read to learn, it's the end of the year is not going to be a very pretty picture. You, you know, uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, in terms of being a, a teacher in the classroom, uh, it should be noted that uh, I believe I read this right, that you were the 2015 uh, Tennessee Teacher of the Year. Am I correct? Tennessee Teacher of the Year while I was teaching at Fraser. That uh, is. I was teaching at Fraser at Keystone Elementary School. I had looped with my children from third to fourth grade. And yeah, I was blessed to be recognized as the Tennessee Teacher of the Year. That's a big deal, kiddo. I, 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 I will say that I, at, at, the, at the very outset. So, you know, we, we, we heard a lot about uh, reading uh, difficulties, I would say, uh, this past school year uh, when, when school got out before it came back in. Uh, you know, the kids that go through testing right at the end of uh, at the end of school year, as they always do. But uh, the reading uh, scores were were pretty low uh, in, in, in terms of uh, that dynamic of what you're talking about. Uh, so there was a lot of emphasis on the uh, summer enrichment program, summer schools and things like that, which to me even more so. Uh, suggest uh, how uh, important uh, this is, this topic is, and really um, how you do it fundamentally, you know, with that one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, training of that child to try to meet them. And I love the 
we're going to meet them where they are so yeah. we can help to get them where they need to be. Am I right on that? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, I'm a second career teacher. I was a banker for 14 years before the Lord called me to the classroom. And, you know, I went to the University of Memphis to get my master's degree in elementary education. And if I had to describe what I was charged with when I left that program, it was meet your children where they are. Mm. I can I can still remember my the, the year I was teaching fourth grade, I had 27 fourth graders and I had two children. I won't name them, but I do still remember their names. I had two children in my class that were in the fourth grade on pre-K level. They could not read the words and, A-N. Mm. And so for me to teach them at a, at a fourth grade level was absolutely ridiculous. That's not what they needed. They needed me to meet them where they were and help them advance to their next level. And it was a, a boy and a girl and my sweet little girl, she was the one that made the most gains because I, I met her where she was and I helped her advance to her next level. Did she finish fourth grade on grade level? No, she was more than six years behind. Wow. But she made the wow. most growth. Yeah. And so I, I think that's the point that we're missing right now is there's so much emphasis on teaching children at the grade level instead of their instructional level. So that's where Arise to Read steps in the gap. Our volunteers meet them where they are and help them advance to their next level. And it's not just academically, but socially, emotionally. I mean, these volunteers show up and the kids' faces light up because they see the same volunteer week after week and these children feel special they get motivated um they they feel like they can do it their confidence increases and so that makes a world of difference for them and that's that's the children are the center they are the focus of what we do at arise to read and you know one 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 thing i took took away from what you just said is i mean it, it's it's one thing uh to to get them up uh, in terms of their reading level but really, there's a there's a social component that goes along with them. There's a self-esteem aspect of this, uh, which which I think you, you define as very, very important. And I think those together have to work together uh, in order to uh, to to bring out the best in some of these young folks. Uh, correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just think about I mean, for so many of the children that we serve, they're living in under resourced communities. They're mm. coming from possibly either single parent families or they're coming from families where grandma is raising them. And, you know, I know from my experience teaching 10 of my 15 years in Frazier that I only had one intact family, mom, dad, and a bunch of children, right? Mm -hmm. Just one in those 10 years. And so, you know, I've worked with single moms that are working three jobs to be able to make ends meet, and they don't have time to give each individual child the attention that they need, that they deserve. And so Arise to Read volunteers step in the gap and they basically just, they love on these children and they basically tell them, hey, you're smart, you're capable, you can do this. And basically the children just absolutely flourished. And we've, we've seen that just, and, and you know, it's not just the, the volunteers and the children that are saying this, but we hear this from the principals and the teachers. And yeah. they're like, what's going on? This yeah. is incredible. What are y'all doing in here? Mm-hmm. That makes all the difference in the world. Karen, uh, how do we get involved? So that's real easy. We are going to have our annual kickoff next Tuesday on uh, August the 29th from 9 to 10 a.m. We're going to have just an informational session where you can learn more about who Arise to Read is, what our volunteers accomplished with our students last year. You're going to hear from a great keynote speaker. And then after that, 
If you decide that you want to attend training to learn how to be a volunteer for Arise to Read, you can do that. And you can learn more by going arisetoread.org, and it's A-R-I-S-E, the number two, .org, and all the information is right there on the homepage. Hope to see you next Tuesday. Karen Vogelsang, thank you so much uh, for uh, not only coming on the show, but for everything you do uh, for so many out there. Really appreciate you. Really appreciate your program. And uh, we'll be getting you back on uh, down the road. You know I always do. I find you. You always do, Chip, <laughs> and I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me come on tonight and just sharing this opportunity. Let's lock arms and make a difference, not just for the children, but for all of us in Memphis. Amen to that. Thank you, Karen. Yeah. Take, take good care thank of yourself. Thank you, Chip. Appreciate take care. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, great program tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Way to, way to, uh, great way to end it. And, uh, you know, as Bryn plays us out, I want to uh, I, I say thank you to all my guests tonight. Uh, folks with Micah, of course, joining me. And uh, uh, Lita McCullough, Selesky. Uh, this book, The Neely Man, I'm telling you, this is real-life history. And if you want to learn it, uh, you need to check it out for sure. But thanks to all my guests. Uh my girls, uh, Nicole and Lola, uh, also have radio shows on this fine radio station. Uh, Planet Chrome uh, is on uh, Friday evenings at 11.59, uh, you know, right around the midnight hour. Uh, that is Nicole's show. Uh, she's doing an amazing job on it. You should check it out for you late night owls out there. And, of course, uh, right before our show, uh, Lola uh, is on the airways. The level Lola doing her thing uh, as well each and every Monday from 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, very thankful for all of you who checked us out uh, or who continue to check us out. I encourage you, if you like the show, uh, to tell folks about it. Uh, maybe we'll build this audience just a little bit. I always want to thank my uh, folks on Facebook Live who are checking us out tonight. Uh, I, I see you, GKP, and my brothers there, Michael Harris and, and Audrey and a whole bunch of other folks. Uh, thank you all for taking the time. Really appreciate it. So uh, as we get out of here, please mind the heat because uh, it is no joke. Uh, so for Bren, for my, my music ran out. For Bren, for Nicole, and, and for Lola, I'm Chip. We're out. See you next week. <laughs>